Well, we are in the middle of a series titled, Ready. And that's the question that I'm going to be asking today. And that's the question that Paul's asking uh, and addressing in the scripture. And last week, Pastor Dave uh, did an excellent job of bringing forth God's word and, and to teaching us a little bit more about eschatology or, or the end times. And uh, as Pastor said, we, we don't have all the answers to all the questions. But what I'm thankful for is that our church, that we're bold enough to say when there are things that we need to keep a closed fist on, and yet we're humble enough when we need to say that there are things that we hold with an open hand, knowing that we don't have all of the answers, but at the same time, continuously seeking and reading and studying and praying over God's word. Uh, to try to learn more as we grow. And and we're hoping that we serve as an encouragement uh, to all of our congregations. Because, frankly, God's word is beyond powerful. And I'm so thankful that we have God's word. Amen? And God's word just can affect us. And as we read the text for today, which is, by the way, quite a bit, We have a lot of scripture to go over today. Uh, Pastor Dave uh, brought forth more topical last week, just like all of our other uh, campuses. And this week we're going to cover both the text that was for last week and the text that's for this week. And, And it almost appears as if Paul was given a list from Timothy. It's almost like Timothy brought brought a, a, a list. Okay, here, here are three main questions that they had for you, Paul, and, and they really want you to address these some way. And, and so that's what Paul's trying to do. Uh, he, one question was concerning loving one another. I covered that two weeks ago. Another question was, what's the destiny of someone who believed in Christ but died? And then the third question that we see in this list is they want to know more about the time of day, the time of the day of the Lord. When is the day of the Lord? When is that going to happen? And we're going to attempt to uncover several of these things uh, together as we dig into God's word. So I'm breaking up my message. If you've seen in the outline, I'm breaking it up into two sections because we have we have two uh, pieces of scripture here that I wanted to. Uh, make sure that we, we kept track of where we were, as, as opposed to just going all over the place. I, I want to make sure that we're doing this in some structured way. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18 is what we'll cover first. Then we'll go into 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read just the first portion uh, of today's scripture? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And we who are alive, who are left until till the coming of the Lord, 
will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you be present here, that you affect us and teach us from the youngest person in here to the oldest person to understand that your word is powerful and could teach us every single day of our life. We are excited about being with you someday, Lord. May we prepare each and every moment. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This first section I've titled, Reassurance of Christ's Coming. Reassurance of Christ's Coming. It was October 2nd, 2015, about 2 o'clock in the morning. I received an unexpected phone call from my brother Dan. My brother Dan is a 38-year-old man, and I can't recall hearing him cry except for two different times in my life. He's just not a crier. The first time is when we took duct tape and put it over his eyebrows and ripped it off in one swoop. We told him he lost his eyebrows. The second time was when I was on the other side of the kitchen and I had a plastic pizza cutter and I threw it like a ninja star and hit him in the head. Those are the two times I recall my brother Dan crying. He probably cried many times uh, other than that, but those are the two times that stuck out in my head. But it was this early fall morning, at 2 in the morning, that I heard over the phone him crying. And he said, Phil, it's not good. It is not good. I don't think Dad's going to make it. My life was shaken at that moment. I, I, I was just shaken. You see, my dad was my best friend. We talked or texted just about every single day. He was my encourager. He, he, was, he was the guy that would offer ideas, uh, how to correct things. He was the person I enjoyed watching games with and talking politics to and throwing ideas at. He was my dad. And I was his son. And as a man who loves Jesus Christ, Man, there were so many thoughts that went through my head that morning after hearing the, being at the hospital and hearing the news. And likewise, the people in Thessalonica were having the same thoughts because they had people who were dying amongst them. You, you see, between the time Paul was with them and then the time Timothy came back, there had there had been some deaths within their people. And they wanted to understand what happens. What's going to happen? Because they've died before the return of Christ. They wanted to know about their destiny. You know, the first thing that we know, and we know all too well, is that humans feel sorrow in death. 
that we feel sorrow when someone dies. And, and it's human nature. It, it should go without saying. Because um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you, if you love Jesus Christ, if, if you are a Christian through and through. Or you could care less about Christ. You could care less about God. People are affected and people hurt when someone near and dear to them dies. We have dealt with death multiple times in this congregation in the last six months. And young people, old people, we, we've dealt with uh, death, I'm sure, in this, in this congregation in some fashion, uh, from little babies in, in a miscarriage to uh, a family member dying a long uh, situation battling with cancer. Death is real, and death is, is something that every person deals with in some fashion. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And, and obviously asleep here is a euphemism for, uh, for death. And, and Paul He's, he's seeking to, to try to minimize the grief, to minimize the grief of the church in the face of death, but he is in no way prohibiting. And some people might say that, that, that you shouldn't grieve. You're a Christian. That person was a believer. They're in a better place. Don't, don't feel sad for them. Don't feel sad. But it's a natural thing, and, and there's no way that Paul is, is saying that. The apostles, remember the apostles when Jesus said, I, I'm going to go die, I must die? In, in John 16, 6 it says, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The apostles felt sorrow. Acts 8, 2, uh, when Stephen was stoned and, and he was martyred, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Sorrow fills people's hearts. And you guys remember when Paul left uh, the Ephesians for the last time. It, it wasn't that Paul died. It, it was just going to be a separation. And the Ephesians realized uh, that we're never going to see you again. We're never going to be with you again. And they cried out. They were so thankful for his words and his prayers. They walked him to the ship and... and there is great sorrow felt in that separation. Your grief and your sorrow, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it just it shouldn't be the same as a non-believer. And why? Why shouldn't it be? Well, because we have hope for those that have died. We have hope for those who have died. Here's what Paul says in verses 14 through 15 again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, Paul's addressing only the resurrection of the righteous. That's who he's addressing in this, in this portion. Only the people that have trusted their lives with Jesus Christ before they died. That's who Paul's talking about. Who he is not addressing here 
He's not addressing uh, the resurrection of the wicked. The resurrection of those who have not bowed their knee to the Savior. That's definitely addressed elsewhere in a lot of places, uh, but not here. So we're not going to even go there today. And Paul's making the case. What he's trying to do is he's making the case that since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and because you have bowed your knee to Jesus, you will also be resurrected if you, if you have died while trusting in him. And he goes into great length in Corinthians. Some of you are probably already thinking about that in your head, of, of how he, he talks about that. And it's a, it's a little bit long, but I think it's crucial for us to understand exactly what this means. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, and it goes all the way through 28. I won't read it all. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying if, if after you have died and you have trusted in Jesus Christ and then you have died, you will be raised from the dead. Otherwise, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead because we are in Jesus. And Jesus was raised from the, from the dead from being dead. And we will do the same. He says later on there, he says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, we are of all people most to be Pitied. If you don't trust that Jesus died and that Jesus was resurrected, that, that's, that's the basis of all of our faith. That's why Easter is such an unbelievable celebration. Because Easter is the time we celebrate Jesus coming back to life. He conquered death. And that's the same thing. If you were trusting in Jesus Christ and you die, we could rejoice over that. There's a rejoicing for the believers that are, are still here, knowing that you'll be raised with Christ. God's word is powerful. When we have someone that has gone before us and have proclaimed the name of the Lord, we can be comforted by that. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to comfort them. Jesus knows the heart of all people, and this is the promise that God has given. This is, this is an absolute promise that Jesus Christ has given. The Holy Spirit said through Paul in verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. 
And this exact same word is what proclaimed the flood. It proclaimed the coming of Jesus. And that same word is, it lives forever and abides forever. And Paul, he wants to reinforce this. He wants to make sure he reinforces this whole point with the, with the Thessalonians that Christ, that he's going to descend from heaven. He wants to explain all that to them. Verse 16 and on in chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are dramatic events. Dramatic. They're, they're, not, they're not really quiet events. They're not. It, it, it says there will be a shout. There will be a voice of an archangel. There will be a trumpet of God. As in a, a, a trumpet of, of a battle. It will not be silent. It will be dramatic. You know, if we had a few extra hours, maybe three or four more sermons, we can really dig in to just these short amount of verses. I mean, we could really go into these verses and talk about them so much. You see, Paul's still trying to, he's still in the process of, of helping the Thessalonians and comforting them that, that we don't have to experience so much grief. Because we know that those that love Jesus Christ, that those who have fallen asleep, will rise first in Christ. They'll rise first. And, and, and then only, and only after uh, that they have been given their preeminence and honor, those of us who are alive will be brought together to the Lord. I love that, that Paul's talking about, he keeps saying we. We will rise at that point and... and uh, you know, the, the dead, he's, he's referring, how many years ago? 2,000 years ago, he's referring to these things, and we're saying the exact same language. We're saying those who have gone before us, but we will rise when Christ returns. You know, Christ can come right now, just as Paul was proclaiming then. We, or those who are alive in Christ, I should say those who are alive in Christ, could not, might not be us, will be transformed. That's cool to think about. That if, if we're here and we haven't already uh, died and the return of Christ comes, that we'll be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15 says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. Man, that's awesome. This separation that the Thessalonians are feeling from those that have already died, it will be brought together and, and they'll, be, they'll be reunited as the righteous living join the righteous dead. And this is why Paul concludes this entire paragraph here again saying that we should encourage one another with these words weep with those who weep rejoice with those who rejoice if someone passes away encourage them love them if someone is struggling help them up and continue to offer 
encouragement. The second portion of our, of our message digs in and goes to a, a, a different, uh, a different um, topic, if you will. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as, a, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and the love, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul's moving from reassuring the Thessalonians of Christ's coming to getting ready for Christ's coming. There's a preparation that he's, he's talking about. Isn't it funny that when we hear of a, of a bad storm coming, we just get that forecast that a bad storm's coming? What, what, what do people do? Man, they run out to the store and they go buy everything that they can. Batteries and flashlights and bread and milk. Uh, they, they may grab uh, generators. They, they, they want to get prepared because we're not going to be able to get out for days in their mind. Walmart actually has gotten so sophisticated in their stocking system that they have an entire headquarters that their entire job is they're like weather forecasters and they are watching where weather patterns are, and they've automated the system so if a certain situation is happening in the country, automatically trucks start getting stocked with stuff and sent to those areas. And they have literally made billions of dollars just off of that one tweak to their system. Because we are creatures of habit, and we want to be prepared. We prepare for everything. We prepare for, if we're preparing for a ball game, we make sure we get everything prepared. Uh, if guests are coming over, making sure everything's clean and, and, and we're getting the, a proper amount of food ready. If we're going on vacation, making sure we have our itinerary and, and, and we know the directions and we have enough money. If we're going to maybe read for an hour, maybe we get our coffee made and, and we're just right in the chair. We have an upcoming test in geometry. Maybe we study we get ready for that. We prepare for everything. But do we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ? As I came to the realization some five months ago, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. Are you really ready for Jesus? Remember I said at the beginning that Paul is basically, he's got a list of things that he's trying to respond to. Uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, they want to know about loving one another. 
They want to know about what happens to somebody who's died before the coming of Christ. And they, and they wanted to know what, what, what happens or when the time of day of the Lord is, is going to happen. And I'm sure some of their curiosity has come uh, just because of, of losing these loved ones, but maybe some of it has come from persecution that they've felt. Like, man, is he coming yet? Remember, they, some of them had actually, we believe, thought that it had already come. They were being told that. And Paul says it pretty plainly for everyone to understand. I, I remember having a T-shirt like this uh, in my early 20s. Jesus said, he'll come as a thief in the night. He'll come as a thief in the night. I think there was a movie, Thief in the Night, if I remember correct. I'm sure our youngsters haven't seen that. Peter says it the same way. Remember, Peter echoes the same words in 2 Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And this is an interesting um, way of saying this, that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. I, I think what he's saying is that many people will be surprised. Many will, people will be, will be taken off guard. Because you don't expect a thief to come during the day when all, or, or when all the lights are on and cars are driving by. That's not when a thief goes in. They sneak in when you least expect it. Paul says in verse 3 that people will feel like they have it all together. You know, sometimes we think, well, we're taught, or, or, or it, maybe it's just passed around, that there's going to be tremendous tribulation, crazy stuff going on, and then finally God's going to come. Well, he says in here that there'll be a feeling of peace and security, and yet destruction will come upon the lives. And he's teaching, Paul's teaching the same things that Jesus taught. Matthew 24, 43 says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I love Scripture, always proving Scripture. You need to utilize Scripture and help to understand other Scriptures. Revelation 16, 15 or excuse me, 3.3 3 says, Revelation 3.3 3 says, Remember then, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. That means change your ways. Change your heart. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at the hour, I will come against you. Revelation 16.15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go away about naked and be exposed. Bottom line, there'll be no time. There'll be no time, nor will be, there'll be an escape. The destruction, when Jesus returns, will be real. And Paul talks about this destruction in greater detail and in greater length in uh, his second letter to the Thessalonians. 
However, there are those people that are prepared, that are preparing uh, for, for the coming of the thief in the night. You know, I, I was thinking, when I, when I was thinking about uh, people being prepared, the master being prepared uh, like a thief in the night, or he, he was prepared for the thief, he knew what hour. Uh, and, and when I thought about that, I thought about Kevin McAllister. Kevin McAllister, he's the main character in a movie called Home Alone. And, and, and Kevin, in this movie, he realized that there were two thieves uh, that were going to try and enter his home and steal his family's belongings. He's only eight years old, and uh, his parents uh, left him at home by himself. They went to Europe, and it was an accident that they left him. So Kevin, he needed to make sure that he was ready. He was prepared. <laughs> and, and, and he was ready. And he knew that they were coming. And we know that Jesus is coming. And, and, and if, if we had that knowledge, wouldn't we tell people? Wouldn't we pass it on that they're coming tonight? They're coming tonight. You need to be prepared. On that day that Jesus comes, when you and I least expect it, Man, it's going to be a glorious day for the people that are serving Jesus Christ. It's going to be a glorious day. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be mar marveled at among all who have believed. So what does this day mean to us when the Lord comes as a thief in the night? Does it mean it's a day of destruction? Or a day of delight. It all depends on whether you're prepared for Jesus' coming. That's what it's dependent on. And, and Paul tells us that the proper preparation means that we shall live as children of the day. Children of the day. It's an interesting way of saying it. Paul says the believer is a children of light or children of the day. He says them both. And children of the light, well, they follow Jesus, who is the light. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Children of the light, they're in Jesus, and therefore they walk in light themselves. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were in darkness. One time you didn't trust Jesus Christ. And you were in darkness. If you trust in Jesus Christ, he says, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Children of the day also are watching for Jesus' return. They stay awake. And they stay sober. They're watching, watching from afar. I think about as a kid that we would watch for my dad to come down the street. We lived in the country, and we could see him from almost a mile away. As he'd come around the block past Helmer Church, we can kind of see his car. Maybe we could hear it more than see it. And, and, and we were waiting. 
We were excited. My two littles, they still wait for me to get home. And they run out to me, usually without shoes on or something, and I say, go back inside, and I probably should just hug and embrace them and love them as they're waiting for their father. And that's what we want to do. You taking notes here? If you're serving Jesus, it means that you're, you're following Jesus, that you're following him. If you're serving Jesus, you're going to walk, and you're going to talk like Jesus because you're walking in the light, baby. And you're going to watch for Jesus. You're, you're, you're going to watch for him, staying awake, which means that you're in constant prayer. You're seeking forgiveness, and you're continuously humbling yourself. You're continuously humbling yourself before the king. And you're sober. You're sober. You're abstaining from those things that are truly controlling your mind and your body. Paul concludes this entire section by reminding the Thessalonians to put on the full armor of God. Put on the armor of God. And he reminds them one again and to encourage one another. He says this again. He said it over and over in the same letter. And we'll see it again in the future. He keeps re-emphasizing this, making a huge point that you have to be encouraging to one another. And so I continue to challenge us. Encourage one another. Encourage each other. Lift each other up. Because he says in here, he, he takes the point even further, and he says, build one another up. Don't be downers. Be people that lift others up. That's, that's one of our primary goals. One of our primary goals as elders at Village Bible Church is to build people up. To build them up in their love and faith of Jesus Christ. And we do that through God's word. So are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Because it's a real thing. It's an absolutely real thing. That, and Jesus promised it to all believers. And he promised it for all non-believers as well. He will return. And for some, this is going to be an absolutely wonderful thing. And for others, this is probably pretty scary. Paul pro proclaimed it 2,000 years ago. And I proclaim it today that we must be ready. We must be ready. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you are powerful, that you are almighty, that you are the greatest, that you are our everything. We're thankful for your conquering of death, that, that you did die, but you, were, you raised your son. You conquered death. We're thankful for the promise and the hope that you give us through your word. I'm thankful for your people as well, Lord. Let us be encouragers. Let, let us help 
Remind people to live for you. Remind people that you will be returning because we want people to be prepared. We want people to be in love with you, Jesus. We want people to serve you with great excitement. Just like the excitement of the children downstairs, we want to be excited in life. We've got a a lot of baggage that we all carry, but you know, it's all about you, Jesus. And, And none of that means anything because it's all about you. And Lord, would you help us stop making it about ourselves? Stop making it about our our life situations. Yeah, there's going to be a time where we're going to be sad and and, and feel sorrow and, and grieve. But let us understand the glory of your coming. The glory of serving you. We love you, Jesus. We are so thankful for your death and your resurrection. Let us rejoice over that. In your name we pray. Amen.